You see what Jesus does? He takes a legal question and turns it into a moral question. If I have the power to help someone, not to do so is what? Sin. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part three of his four-part series titled The Sabbath and the Heart of God. We're examining the encounter between the religious leaders and Jesus and some of Christ's specific actions that the religious leaders considered unthinkable to perform on the Sabbath. Last time, Tom began to look at how Jesus viewed the Sabbath and how his actions reveal that there is indeed room on the Sabbath for necessity, as well as acts of mercy and kindness. And you'll discover that even though Jesus had the power to perform miracles on the Sabbath, there were those who chose to reject him as Lord and accused him of breaking God's law. As you consider the lesson, ask yourself this, is the Lord's day the Lord's day? Or is it my day? Who do you say is the Lord of the Sabbath, Christ Jesus or yourself? Keep that in mind as we join Tom now on The Word Unleashed. We come to the last conflict in a series of five conflicts that Jesus has had with the Pharisees. The first conflict came in chapter 2, verse 1, and the final one ends in chapter 3, verse 6. All five of these conflicts have been about Jesus' authority, his authority to forgive sins, his authority to decide who it is he will eat with and whose company he will enjoy, his authority not to fast. But the key issue, the key flashpoint in the last two conflicts becomes the Sabbath. Two separate incidents allow us to see Jesus' heart especially when it comes to the keeping of the Sabbath. And we learn really some profound lessons about the heart of God. And that's really where I want to take us tonight after we walk our way through the incident that we need to examine together. The paragraph runs from chapter 2, verse 28. I'm sorry, verse 23. Chapter 2, verse 23, down through chapter 3, verse 6. Just to remind you of a little, the little outline we're following here, Jesus, first of all, deals with the Sabbath and lets us know that there is room on the Sabbath for necessity. Where genuine human needs exist, it's okay to see those needs met on the Sabbath. We saw that in the story that we looked at last time as the disciples are eating, picking and eating heads of grain. Tonight we come to the second episode, the second account in this little Sabbath uh, conflict, and this account tells us that there is room on the Sabbath for acts of mercy and kindness for doing good to others. I told you that the theme of this passage is really found in chapter 2, verse 28, as Jesus makes this pronouncement, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Last time we looked at the first of these episodes, the disciples picking grain on the Sabbath. Tonight we come to the second. Let me just remind you of what briefly what we saw last time. We, we saw, first of all, the question 
that wasn't a question. The Pharisees making a point to Jesus. How could you let your disciples do that? Don't you know that's working on the Sabbath? And Jesus responds in a way that they couldn't respond to. They couldn't answer. He gives them a series of arguments. He gives them an argument from biblical history in the episode with David, from the Mosaic law itself that allowed the priests to work on the Sabbath, from the prophets that God desires compassion over the ceremonial law, from the purpose of the Sabbath that it was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and from his own personal authority where he ends with that pronouncement, don't you know that the Son of Man, that is me, Jesus said, is Lord of the Sabbath. We discovered last week that the Christ, there is no such thing as a Christian Sabbath. The Sabbath has gone away for us as believers. There isn't a Saturday Sabbath and there isn't a Sunday Sabbath. There is, however, the same existing principle in that fourth commandment that was always there, and that is we are to work six days and set aside time for worship on the first day of the week now. We don't have the same laws that prescribe exactly what we can and cannot do on the Sabbath, or excuse me, on Sunday, which uh, some people would say is the Christian Sabbath. We don't have those regulations. Instead, the chief thing in that day, the Lord's day, is to be time set aside for the worship of God. What we do beyond that is up to us. What's appropriate on any day is appropriate on the Lord's day as long as the priority of the day is the worship of God. Now, that brings us tonight to the second part of this paragraph and the second conflict Jesus has here in Mark with the Pharisees over the Sabbath. It's the story of the man with a withered hand. And from this account, we see that there is room to show mercy on the Sabbath. Now, what's interesting as we go through this brief story that begins in chapter 3, verse 1, and runs down through verse 6, There are series of contrasts. Let me read the paragraph for you. See if you can pick up the contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees as we work our way through this passage. Chapter 3, verse 1. He entered again into the synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him, as to how they might destroy him. A series of contrasts that show us the heart of God and the heart of Christ and that show us the heart of sinful man in its best and brightest. The most religious, the Pharisees. First of all, let's look at the contrast between a caring heart and a sinister plot. You see this in the first two verses. Look at verse 1. He entered again into a synagogue. Luke tells us that it was on another Sabbath that Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. So this isn't the same Sabbath as the incident that comes right before it. It 
very well may be the following Saturday, a week later, and Jesus and his disciples go into a synagogue. In chapter 3, verse 7, you'll notice that Jesus withdraws from the synagogue and goes to the Sea of Galilee. So obviously, this was a synagogue near the Sea of Galilee. Very likely, it was a synagogue, the synagogue in Capernaum, his hometown. As we have so often seen Jesus, Luke tells us that he was teaching in the synagogue. Now, verse 1 goes on to say, and a man was there whose hand was withered. It's so like Luke to add, by the way, it was his right hand. It's interesting to me, when you look back in early church tradition, and we don't know if this is true or not, but Jerome tells the story that was much earlier than he was from an apocryphal gospel called the Gospel of Hebrews. He says, the man who had a withered hand is described as a stonemason who pleaded for Christ's help because he was being reduced to begging because he could no longer work. Obviously, a stonemason would need both hands. We don't know if that's a true story or not. That's certainly tradition. goes back a long way. It may be or it may not be. We aren't told exactly what this man's condition was, but we're told his, hand was, his right hand was withered. That implies several things. It implies, obviously, that it was unusable, perhaps a paralysis of some sort, perhaps withered meaning misshapen or deformed in some way. And it may not have been a congenital condition because the word withered seems to imply that it was once usable but was no longer usable. It had withered. As far as causes, we can only guess, perhaps polio, a stroke, an accident of some kind. We really don't know the details of this man's situation. But verse 2 says, they were watching Jesus to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Mark doesn't tell us right away who they are, but it's not difficult to figure out if you look down at verse 6. And Luke tells us from the front that it was the scribes and the Pharisees. It's interesting when you look at this word in the original language, this word watching him, it gives the sense of a bunch of of vultures sort of hanging nearby Jesus. The word literally means to to walk beside or to to hang beside. And so here are these men sort of sticking close to Jesus, wondering what he's going to do. They wanted to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now remember, just a month or two before, Jesus had gone to Jerusalem. Remember, we studied this last week. Jesus had gone down to Jerusalem. It's recorded in John 5. Gone down to Jerusalem, and there he had healed on the Sabbath and had gotten into much trouble with the religious leaders of the nation for that healing. And these Pharisees had apparently been sent back to Galilee to keep a close eye on Jesus and his activities. And so there they are, they're watching, looking for their opportunity. Undoubtedly, if they could catch this wayward rabbi doing something he shouldn't do, it would ensure their own advance up the ecclesiastical ladder. And so here they are, like a bunch of piranha, waiting. They were watching, notice verse 2 says, so that they might accuse him. So that they might accuse him. They were looking for evidence that would allow them to make a formal charge against Jesus in the rabbinical courts for violating the Sabbath. These were ecclesiastical bloodhounds on the trail of an aberrant rabbi. Their approach to their faith was all about external rules. It's like their whole approach was like keeping the speed limit. Their idea was, as long as you kept the speed limit, 
It didn't matter that in your heart, in your heart of hearts, you wanted to go much faster. That was okay, as long as you just didn't break the speed limit. It was all about the external. Now look at verse 2 again. Does anything strike you as really strange about verse 2? This is where my father-in-law, who's now with the Lord, used to say, when you read the Bible, particularly the gospel accounts, you have to read them with a sanctified imagination. You have to put yourself into the story, as it were. When you put yourself into the story in verse 2, does anything strike you as strange? Notice that these men were not watching to see if Jesus had the power to heal. They were watching to see if he would use his power on the Sabbath. It's remarkable. These men freely admitted that Jesus had the power to heal all manner of diseases. That was evident and plain all over Galilee. And they had already seen the kind of heart Jesus had, his compassion for people, and so they fully suspected that when the compassion of Jesus and his incredible power to work miracles saw this man with a withered hand, that he would have to respond. That's remarkable to me. Because in spite of what they had already learned about Jesus, about his power, about his heart of compassion for people, they still would not for a moment countenance his claims. Instead, they were looking for evidence to convict him of breaking the Sabbath. So you see Jesus caring heart. They saw Jesus caring heart. They expected him to do something. And instead of being concerned about this man, All they're concerned about is their little schemes and their little plot. That brings us to the next sort of contrast, and it's a biblical defense versus a stubborn silence. Jesus defends what he's about to do, and the Pharisees keep their mouths shut, which is refreshing for a change. The the Pharisees apparently notice this man first, and they decide to use him to advance their cause and their case against Jesus. Because Matthew says this in Matthew 12, 10, a man was there whose hand was withered, and they, that is the Pharisees, questioned Jesus. So they see this man, and they think, here is a perfect opportunity to put a trap for Jesus. He has the power to heal. He has a compassionate heart. Let's ask him about that man. Is it lawful, they said to Jesus, to heal on the Sabbath? And they did all of this so that they might accuse him. They apparently pointed out this man and asked Jesus a theoretical question. To their shock, Jesus calls their bluff. Jesus intended to demonstrate to everyone's satisfaction that he was in fact the Lord of the Sabbath. And so verse 3 of Mark says, Mark 3, he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. Now, the last thing that someone with a physical disability wants is to be singled out and to have their disability pointed out. What Jesus literally says to this man in the Greek text is this, rise into the middle. That's what he said. Rise into the middle. I want you to come right here into the middle of the synagogue, a packed Jewish synagogue on Saturday. Major trade city on a major trade route filled with people. We've been in that synagogue that is in the, on the foundation of that synagogue, and it, it would have held a large number of people. Rise into the middle. Jesus is purposefully going to seize this circumstance to make a very clear and a very public point. 
He's designing his actions to make the maximum public impact. The synagogue is packed, and he tells this man with a paralyzed hand to stand and go to the very center of the synagogue where everyone there can see him. Matthew tells us that Jesus began with a question that would have been absolutely obvious in an agricultural area like Galilee. This is what Matthew says he said first after he asked the man to come to the middle of the room. He said to the Pharisees, what man is there among you who has a sheep? And if he falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, as obvious as this might be to you, this was not obvious to the rabbis and the Pharisees of the first century. They had spent a great deal of time arguing about this very situation. What do you do if your animal falls in a pit on the Sabbath? The Talmud, which was the collection of Jewish thought, came sometime after Christ, but certainly the thoughts that it pulls together were contemporary with the time of Christ. Some of the rabbis argued that if an animal fell into a pit, all you could do was give it food until the Sabbath was done. So you just kind of threw food down in the hole with it. Others said, no, you could put something under it for a bed, and if it managed to use that something you put under it for a bed to get out, well, that's okay. It's all right. There was even one rabbi, and this is shocking, there was one rabbi who said, and this is in the Talmud, who said that you could take it out of the pit if you said you intended to kill it, and then once you got it out, it was okay to change your mind and say, oh, well, I changed my mind, I'm not going to kill it after all. Mind games. But to any poor farmer with common sense, the answer to Jesus' question was absolutely clear. You get the animal out of the pit. And Jesus says that man is infinitely more valuable than a sheep because he's made in the image of God. By the way, can I just kind of put a pause button here and give you an aside? If Jesus lived today, he would not be a member of PETA. PETA's founder, Ingrid Newkirk, once said, there is no rational basis for saying that a human being has special rights. A rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. Well, the one who made us said, absolutely not. How much more valuable is a man? Why? Because we are made in the image of God that sheep was not. Mark picks up what Jesus said next. Look at verse 4. It says, he said to them, let me ask you a question. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill? Now what's interesting about this is there really are two distinct questions here. And they're directed two different ways. At first glance, you might think Jesus is asking the same question in different ways, but there are really two questions. The first question is about what he should do regarding the man with the withered hand. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? Now, there, that means there were only two possibilities. Either Jesus can help this man, or if he refuses to help him, then he's harming him. Healing would be doing good, not to heal would be doing harm. You see what Jesus does? He takes a legal question and turns it into a moral question. If I have the power to help someone, not to do so is what? Sin. 
That's throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. In Luke 10, Jesus told the parable, you remember, of the Good Samaritan. And he made the point that if it's in your power to help someone, do it. That's the way you love your neighbor. And in Galatians 6.10, Paul reminds us, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. But what Jesus is saying here essentially is, it's okay to do good. If I don't help this guy, I'm doing harm to him because I'm not helping him when I have the power to do so. But that isn't what the rabbis taught. That isn't what the Pharisees believed. The Pharisees' position is explained in the Talmud. Here's what they said. They said that first aid was permissible to keep a wound from getting worse on the Sabbath. So if someone gets hurt on the Sabbath and you need to render first aid to keep the wound from getting worse, that's okay. But all attempts to cure someone would be considered work. So, just to kind of give some application to that, if someone broke a limb on the Sabbath, broke an arm, you could splint that arm to keep the break from getting worse, but you couldn't actually set the arm. The Talmud says, and this is a quote, one who has a sore throat must not gargle with oil, but he may swallow oil for food, and if that cures him, all right. So in other words, it would be work to gargle. It would be healing. That would be work. You're seeking to cure yourself. But if you want to take some oil and go ahead and swallow it, and it helps you, great. There were a lot of differences in interpretation among the various rabbis, but they agreed on this. This is what they all agreed on. Healing was only allowed on the Sabbath if the life was in danger and waiting might risk death. And clearly, a paralyzed hand was no threat to this man's life. And so by all of their law, by all of their regulations, this man should not be helped on the Sabbath. It could wait till the next day. You said, did they really believe that? Well, listen to Luke 13, 14 a different time in Jesus' life, the synagogue official was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and he began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Are you kidding? This is where it had come. I love what one of the commentators that I use regularly, Edward, says on Mark on this passage of Mark, he says this, the test of all theology and morality is either passed or failed by one's response to the weakest and most defenseless members of society. Is that biblical? Absolutely. You remember James 1? What does James say? Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to take care of the orphans and the widows in their distress. Be concerned about those that are needy. This is real religion. What the Pharisees had wasn't. Now, that was Jesus' first question. It was a question about what he should do regarding the man with the withered hand. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? But the second question Jesus asked them wasn't about what he was going to do. Instead, because as Luke says in the parallel passage, he knew what they were thinking, his second question is about what they are going to do. And he asked this question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to save a life or to kill? Jesus wasn't planning 
to either save a life or take a life on that Sabbath. He was just talking about healing a withered hand. But these Pharisees were about to deal with this very choice. On that Sabbath, they were going to decide whether Jesus should continue to live or whether he should die. And so what this is really, I have to agree with several commentators that this was a call to repentance. This is a less than subtle way to say to them, I know what you're thinking, and let me ask you what's more appropriate, for me to heal on the Sabbath, as I'm about to do, or for you to plot my death on the Sabbath, as you are about to do. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his series, The Sabbath and the Heart of God. Tom will have part four for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. And friend, to serve as an elder in a local church is a noble ambition, but it comes with a sobering responsibility. The existing church leadership must actively be seeking to identify, equip, and appoint elders to continue the work of ministry. Invite your pastor and other church leaders to join Tom Pennington February 18th in South Lake, Texas, as he is a featured speaker at this year's XL Ministries training conference, Becoming Biblical Elders. Visit thewordunleashed.org for more information and registration links to the conference. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.